0: Thanks, Jan. Good morning, folks. It's great to be with you again today. Um, We've been working through a series called Reforming Church over the last number of weeks, during which we have been looking at eight New Testament words used to describe the church. If you've been part of this series at all so far, I wonder quickly in your mind, how many of them can you remember? We've looked at people... Church is the people of God, family, community, temple, unity, body. And then last week, we looked at the term disciples. That's a regular word in the New Testament for those who are following Jesus, those who are like apprentices, those who are trainees, those who are learning to be more like Jesus as they follow him. And we asked, how do I follow Jesus? Okay, I get that I'm meant to become more like him and pursue him. How do I become more like him? So we gave this answer last week. by I follow Jesus by hearing him in his word, by his spirit, and through his body, and then doing whatever he tells me to do. And today we're going to look at Disciples Part 2. Disciple-making disciples. I'm going to read to you a little passage from Matthew's gospel right at the end where Jesus is just about to ascend and he's gathered his disciples together and he tells them something magnificent and hugely significant. Let's read from verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee where he'd arranged to meet them to the mountain where he told them to go. When they saw him they worshipped him but some of the age." Magnificent and famous passage from the Bible. Now here's here's a common misunderstanding about the Bible. Some people would say that it's a collection of unreliable, disconnected, ancient writings. Just a ramble, just a bunch of religious stuff. One famous uh, atheistic writer, Richard Dawkins, who's often quoted, uh, said this about the Bible. To be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil, but just plain weird, as you'd expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents. That's a common thought, it's just a random bunch of religious... Stuff put together. The truth is that could hardly be further from reality. Because there is one author behind all of the writings of the Bible, there is clearly a common thread through the Bible. All the human authors have a divine author behind them. It's not surprising that actually, far from being chaotic and cobbled together, the Bible is a consistent whole. It has a thread. It has a storyline. It follows a plot. There's a consistent narrative through it. The narrative being about God, essentially, about mankind and especially about God's desire, his passion to bring sinful mankind back into relationship with himself. And one way you could describe the Bible's storyline is to use these four P's. To say that God, through the story through the Bible, is that God is seeking a people full of his presence who pursue him in obedience and proclaim him to the world. A people, a gathering, a community, not just individuals scattered around the world, but a people in whom he will dwell, a people full of his presence, and a people full of his presence who then pursue him in obedience. But it doesn't stop there. The church doesn't just gather full of God's presence, pursuing him. It goes to proclaim his name to all the world. Which is where, because of this consistent story through the Bible, which is where we intersect with Matthew chapter twenty-eight that we just read. See to Jesus' existing followers, he spelt out their mission. He gave them the most significant purpose they could ever have received. The mission he gave them was go and make disciples. Reproduce yourself. Effectively, in the lives of others. It's like there's echoes of Genesis 1. Sort of you know, rippling through to Matthew twenty-eight, Genesis chapter one, be fruitful and increase in number. Jesus is taking that really and saying to his disciples, I'm sending you, I'm giving you this mission. Go and make disciples, be fruitful, multiply, replicate yourselves as followers of me. As you follow me, I will be with you to help you to help others to follow me too. That's always been God's purpose. it wasn't a new thing in one sense. It's a consistent storyline throughout the Bible. It's always been God's purpose for his people when they're full of his presence and pursuing him in obedience to proclaim his name. It's always been the mission. Let me give you a few quick examples as we see it This thread through the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and says to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In effect, the same mission. Deuteronomy, a bit later on in the Old Testament, chapter 4, God says this, Obey these instructions, or Moses says to the people, Obey these instructions because your wisdom and understanding will be on show to all the nations who will hear about you and say this, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray? The point there being, the whole whole point was that God's people would so be full of his presence and so obeying and pursuing him in obedience that other nations would look on and say, what's different About them. There's something unique about them. And the very act of them being like that would proclaim God's name and give an opportunity to make him known. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 50, just following this thread through, that says this. It's a really concise statement. It's one of my favorite statements. Psalm 50, verse 2 From Zion. A name for Jerusalem where uh, the people of God were centered from Zion or from God's people, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. I love that image. Zion, the people of God are becoming increasingly like God, perfected. And from there, from the people, God is shining forth among them. The message version says this, from the dazzle of Zion, God blazes into view. I love that. Take, keep going through the Old Testament, you get to, to Isaiah, lots of stuff in Isaiah about the people of God, making God known, and in verse 6, verse 5, verse 6, and now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to regather the people. He says this, listen, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This servant pictured in Isaiah, who is ultimately Jesus, is, is being told this. It's too small just to restore God's people and just keep them together and bring them back to what they should have been. The whole point is this. I'm going to make you a light to the nations, which, of course, Jesus was. And through him, we are too. This thread is continuing right through Matthew chapter 28. We see there as well in, in the book of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 13. And Paul, Paul and Barnabas have had an encounter with a bunch of people, They've now rejected them and not wanted to know uh, about what they're saying about Jesus. And then Paul and Barnabas say this to the people, "'For this is what the Lord has commanded us.' Remember what we've just read from Isaiah. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas and the early church are understanding that what the Father had sent Jesus to be, a light for the Gentiles, a light so that the good news about God could go to all the nations, was now being picked up by the church. In Christ, his body now is owning the mission that the servant the Son has. And so Paul and Barnabas are saying, We know why we're here. here to be a light to the Gentiles, to take the message across all the nations of the world. The thread is consistent here. And then we get to the very last book in the Bible, and we find that this thread is kind of where it all culminates and where it all comes to. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is where it finishes. The mission of God through all of the Bible is culminated in this great scene in heaven where all the nations have been blessed, as God said to Abraham. Where all the nations have responded to the light of this servant. Where all the nations are represented because from the church, the people of God who are owning now this mission, the word has gone out and people have responded and come to follow Jesus. Disciples are making disciples right through. So God always says, come, come, anyone, be my people. But then he also always says, go, proclaim my name. I wonder sometimes, do you wonder, maybe you have this question, perhaps depending on your church background, perhaps depending on your personality, etc. So this question, is the church meant to focus on growing or going? Is it meant to focus on maturity or mission? Is the church meant to go deeper or go further? It's a bit like you can have the come and the go wings of the church sometimes. But it's not or in any of those statements, it's and. The church is here to come and gather and go and grow. The church is here to become more mature and to go on mission, to come, go deeper and go further. Because here's the crucial thing. Growing as disciples last week and going to make disciples are inextricably linked, and you should never try and separate them for various reasons. One is this, that because the more I'm following Jesus, the more I'll be going as he would do. The more I'm growing closer to him, the more I'll be going because that's exactly what he would be doing. And also because of this, because we tend to reproduce what we are. It's kind of a principle built into the fabric of creation that you can recognize at any point. There's no point an orange tree saying, if it could, to itself, I'm going to produce some apples. It's just not how things are designed to be. There's no point a cow thinking, I think I'll go and produce sheep. It's just not built in. We produce according to our kinds. And here's a scary fact that I've become aware of over the years, and in fact we've all recognised. I see my parents in me. And I see something of myself in my three sons. To a greater or lesser extent we reproduce what we are. I was on a Zoom call with someone this week and uh, one of my sons came in to use the printer uh, that's in my study, and uh, the person who, was, who, who I was talking to on the screen said, oh I thought that was, because she said who was that, and I said it was Ben, she said I thought that was Andrew, all your sons look so alike. Now to them that's probably a horrifying thought, that they look more like me than they'd like to realize. And she said about herself, she said, my family were also very different. And I said, no, not from the outside, because I've met some of her family. We produce after our own kind very, very similarly. So here's where all that collides with Jesus' command to go and make disciples. We will tend to produce disciples after our own kind which means that how we build the church and grow as disciples has a huge impact on making and going to make disciples. We must remember that fact. I wonder if I asked you, what are your secondary school memories like? Some of you would uh, be horrified. Some of you would think, ah, best days of my life. My secondary school memories are hardly any really it wasn't very special It was a pretty ordinary school I wasn't a very confident chap I just kind of got on with it very quietly if I asked you what are your memories of science at school I wonder some of you might shiver out in horror others of you might think yeah absolutely that's my best lessons of the week <clears throat> I hated science But when I got to GCSE, as it is now, level, you had to do a science subject. Well, chemistry I did not even understand the beginnings of at all. I can still see the periodic table and just know I was totally confused. Biology I didn't really get, so I chose to do physics. Not because I was any good at it, you just had to do one. I really wasn't good at it because I had to do the lower level of exam and managed to get a grade two, goodness knows how. Anyway, whether you like science or not, stay with me here. Centripetal and centrifugal forces are a key part of science. Please stay with me if you 're not a scientist i 'm not a scientist, but this might be helpful. Centripetal forces are those that work and pull inward, for example, the gravitational pull of the Earth on the moon, keeping it in orbit it 's almost like it 's tugging it gravity is tugging the moon in all the time and then there are centrifugal forces, a bit like The sensation you might feel if you're on a fairground ride that's going round and round, the force that is flinging you out, centripetal pulling in, centrifugal throwing out. Now I'm saying this for a reason. When Jesus said in verse 20 in the context of mission, he said, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age, his presence in us has both centripetal and centrifugal effects. Centripetal in this sense. In terms of what one writer called missional magnetism, This is really helpful. He said, part of the mission of God's people is to so have God, his presence, at the centre of who they are and what they do, that there is a centripetal force almost at work. God's own gravitational pull that draws people into the sphere of his blessing. It's a bit like there is something about the life of God when truly known in his people that attracts that pulls in, that helps people to see there is something, there is a God, there is a community I could be part of, there is meaning in life, there is help for me in all my struggles. A sense, a gravitational pull that draws people in where the presence of God is. Sounds a bit like Genesis 12, sounds a bit like Deuteronomy 4, sounds a bit like Psalm 50, sounds a bit like Isaiah 49. Here during the week at City Gate, there's a community hub in operation, offering help, advice, and food for those who are in real need. A story came in this month of someone who'd been to the community hub, and afterwards, from their experience of being at the hub, they said this. They wrote this. This place is beautiful. This place is a godsend. He said, I'm ex-military. I used to have it all. When I came here, I had nothing. I'd given up. When I met you all, you said, come, we're going to help you. I've been at the lowest point of my life and you never turned me away. You all listened. You sat me down and called a local GP surgery and you made sure I had my prescription for my asthma. I remember I came in with no food. I went home with so much food, so happy. I'm now registered with a GP. I have a dentist because you never turned me away. You got me help for the alcohol. I tell you, my drinking slowed by 80% because of your help. I never stole in all my life, but without Citygate, I would be nicking stuff and I would end up in prison. I want you to understand that you stopped all that. You all give me hope again. You all give me a drive to live. You all showed me there is a God out there. I haven't been to church for a long time. I came here and I feel like, yes, this is it. I'm happy now again. I want to thank you all. I talked about you all to my mum last night, about how much you all helped me. My mum broke down and cried. I want to go and do charity work. You all give me the drive to help people. That's my dream now, to give something back. Do you know what that sounds to me like? From Zion. Perfect in beauty... God shines forth. That sounds like a centripetal attraction because the presence of God draws people and makes a difference and helps people to go on and change. I would say there's nothing special in one sense about City Gate, but God is here, which means everything. I would say, Holy Spirit, please multiply stories like that all around this place, that people may come and find your life here, because you are here the centripetal, drawing effect of the Holy Spirit in us. And God's presence also has a centrifugal effect in terms of turning our hearts and our motivation out towards people. There's something centrifugal about the Holy Spirit when truly known that causes us not just to come in, but to want to go out, to thrust us out, to throw us out like that fairground ride. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is just about to ascend back from the earth to his Father, and he says this to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, from close to where you are, rippling out, as it were, you will be witnesses, you will be my representatives all around the place. It's a really important grammatical thing there. He says, "You will be my witnesses. The Spirit coming on you will cause you to be witnesses." I want to say, Lord, please fill us with Your Spirit that we might know You better, but that we might go better as well, because that's what You've promised in Acts chapter one, verse eight. It's really fascinating passage. The disciples are there; they've gathered around Jesus, and they've said, "Are You going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time?" It's like they're saying, "Are You 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 going to establish us?" you going to make life better for us? Are you going to you know, big up God's people and destroy the others and establish Israel again? It's like, are you just going to draw it in and make it nicer for us? And Jesus surprises them and says, no, 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 the Spirit coming isn't going to do that. The Spirit is going to come upon you to send you and cause you to go out and make me known. A centrifugal effect. And so I would want to say as well, Lord, may you please fill us for a centripetal effect, but will you fill us and make us more centrifugal as well, that you will, by your life coming in us, you will thrust us out to our friends, our neighbours, to help make you known. So let's connect back into last week. Disciples listen to Jesus in his word, through his body, and by his spirit, and they do whatever he tells them to do. So if I'm listening to his word, I'll see the mission clearly laid out. Go and make disciples. And if I'm listening to his spirit... I'll sense him leading me to love people who don't know him yet, to be a blessing, to get out there, to make him known, to go and make disciples. And if I'm listening to his body, I'll see people who will inspire me and help me because they're further on in the journey of going and making disciples than I am. So I wonder if where you are this morning, I wonder if you'll pray with me. I wonder if you'll pray with me one thing, and keep in mind where you'll be this week. I wonder where you'll be this week. Will you be at work? Will you be in your neighborhood? Maybe you'll be in some social setting still. Maybe with your family. And in each of those places, I want you to pray this. Come Holy Spirit, send me on this mission. I pray to be one who goes and makes disciples, one who proclaims you wherever I go, by how I live and what I say, by obeying this mission. Will you just say that with me, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And think of those places where you will be this week. And in each of those places keep saying, come Holy Spirit. Fill me with power, help me to keep going, help me to be a disciple-making disciple as I obey you and follow you and live more as Jesus did, loving those who don't yet know him. Lord, we ask you for more stories of the centripetal effect of the Spirit in us, in this place. May people look on us, not because we're special, but because you're here, and find you and be radically changed, and Holy Spirit empower us this week and every week going forward that wherever we go, whoever we're in contact with, we might be saying, come Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? Help me to know what you're doing, and to obey you, and to live and to speak in a way that proclaims your greatness as you sent us to do, amen.